Welcome to part two of this week's Taiwan This Week, Taiwan Relations Act panel discussion special. And in the second part of the show, it features the second panel discussion, which was also recorded live at the Taiwan Relations Act at 40, where we've been and what's next event, which took place at the National Taiwan University. The event brought together former and current Taiwanese and American government officials and academics who discussed the history and future of the accord that has been the cornerstone for Taiwan-US relations since 1979. And in the second panel discussion, I moderate the TRA New Opportunities Roundtable, at which Minister Without Portfolio, Audrey Tung, KMT Lawmaker-at-Large, Jason Shu, and Donghai University Associate Professor of Political Science, Albert Cho, discuss the current status of the Taiwan Relations Act and its future. We're going to talk about the Taiwan Relations Act in the future, not in the past. William Foreman, of course, covered the past. We're going to look at the future. And here's my panel. I've got Albert Cho here on my right. He's an associate professor of political science at the Donghai University in Taichung. He's an expert on politics in Taiwan and has conducted research and written extensively on a wide range of subjects, including electoral trends, political campaign activities, and the legislature. And next to Albert is Jason Shu, who's a KMT lawmaker at large. Now, well, he's also, of course, held positions with the Executive UN's Youth Advisory Council, the Educational Radio Advisory Committee, and the Ministry of Education's National Education Advisory Committee. And he's also the curator and co-founder of TEDx Taipei. And at the end, we have Minister Tung, Audrey Tung. And, of course, Audrey Tung has served as digital minister in the administration of President Tsai Ing-wen since October of 2016. And she's in charge of managing digital information publishing by government agencies. She's also served on the National Development Council's Open Data Committee and the K-12 Curriculum Committee. And like I said earlier, we're going to jump straight in with the TRA as it may be in the future. And I'll start with Minister Tung at the end. So how do you view the status of the Taiwan Relations Act after 40 years and see its current place in the relationship between Taiwan, the United States and China? Okay, um, I'll give a very brief remark. Um, as uh, Director Brent uh, Christensen have announced, uh, we are actually crowdsourcing the answer of this question uh, from each one of you. Um, if you Google for Shui Deihua or if you Google for Digital AIT, you'll get into this conversation platform that looks something like this that asks everyone uh, in a democratic fashion to define the future of uh, the free and open Indo-Pacific together and define Taiwan's uh, relationship in relation to that um, strategy. And so I would just read the wisdom from the crowd because the topmost, um, you know, um, Statements are already in, uh, perhaps just from people right here. Uh, there's people saying that um, in this new era, uh, the U.S. and Taiwan should work very closely on uh, non-traditional multilateral uh, organizations, that is to say hybrid organization that combines a multi-stakeholder forum uh, versus a multilateral forum. For example, international NGOs, for example, the Global Entrepreneurship um, Congress, for example, the Open, uh, part, Open Government Partnership or the OGP. All these have the same characteristics. It's a combination between the major groups that cares about one or more sustainable development goal 
goals, so it's global in nature, and yet uh, it can only be realized in a free and open society. So that means that we're value aligned. So at the moment, this particular suggestion is has the most report, the most resonance among all the participants, and I look forward to have your statements also in the mix. Jason, how do you see the current status of the Taiwan Relations Act? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me, and it's, it's great to be here. Um, Obviously, uh, TRA serves as a legal foundation for, that governs the uh, basic principle of how U.S.-Taiwan uh, 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 regulate the uh, state affairs. And we can, we can tell by the, uh, the fundamental shift in the U.S. strategy towards China, particularly after Trump uh, took office in 2016, going from a strategic partner to strategic competitor. So we realize that um, there's been a, a, a funda fundamental wake-up call uh, in terms of U.S. Uh, really uh, becoming a strategic competitor towards uh, China. And with that, with that in mind, we realize that there's been a several push uh, in terms of within the Congress. There are three major uh, important legislation that are being signed in Congress. Number one is a National Defense Authority Act, which basically provides the uh, legality for the U.S. Uh, uh, ships to dock in the ports of Taiwan and also encourage the uh, U.S. high-level officials to visit Taiwan and vice versa for, for Taiwan high-level officials to visit Washington. And also, we've seen the introduction of the uh, Taiwan Assurance Act, which is introduced by uh, Senator Tom Cotton and also uh, supported by the uh, uh, Representative Cory Gardner. And you can tell by a strong push by the U.S. Congress to solidify the ever strong relationship between uh, Taiwan and U.S. But we also must be uh, cautious in mind that any type of a strategic uh, partnership or com competition can change uh, overnight with the uh, change of the status or the change of the dynamic. So Taiwan uh, uh, has to stay nimble and stay flexible in understanding the uh, dynamics between the U.S., uh, Taiwan, and um, uh, uh, China relationships. But with TRA celebrating the 40th anniversary, I feel this is this means. Uh, uh, solidarity and also uh, cementing the uh, strong relationship between uh, Taiwan and China. And we will continue to pursue a closer relationship and closer cooperation, both uh, officially and unofficially, as suggested by uh, Minister Tan, and to foster a deep, deeper relationship between the two sides. Thanks. All right. Um, thank you, Kevin. It's my honor to be here to talk about the issue in the panel with the with the two uh, panelists. Um, if you look back uh, to the year of 2016 when Donald Trump uh, surprisingly uh, won the election, uh, from, since two years ago, we have seen a lot of progress uh, in terms of strengthening the Taiwan-U.S. relations. And this really reminds me of a theory uh, created by the policy scholars Brian Jones and the Frank, Frank Bangarners uh, the punctuated equilibrium. It is a theory to measure and explain uh, long periods of policy-making stability and the uh, policy continuity, disrupted, though, by short but intense periods of instability and change. So, in a word, I think the window is open right now 
for a whole new U.S.-Taiwan relations. Regardless of different opinions in the society of Taiwan, I think all of us, each of you in, 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 in the ballroom today, we have witnessed that this uh, great potential for us to explore a new relationship between Taiwan and the United States. This does not mean that we position uh, ourselves in, in, the, in a way that we want to fight against China, but rather we actually uh, you know, enter a new stage to, on the one hand, to make sure that the democracy as well as the security in Taiwan is not only important to us, but also important to the United States. On the other hand, it is a great chance for us to, together, Taiwan as well as the uh, United States, to help China to find a new way out. Because to my perspective, I think China now is still in the wrong direction, which the time is not long enough for us to see its effect. But I believe it will be uh, revealed uh, near in the future. Okay, so that's kind of my uh, short opening. Right. Oh, did you have anything to say about Albert's, Albert's comments? So um, a couple of things. Um, I think one of the um, things is that, as I mentioned, uh, Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, it is a global commitment. Um, everybody, including the PRC, of course, uh, has agreed that by year 2030, these are the 17 important issues that humanities need to solve together. And we happen to believe that it can only be solved by uh, a free and open collaboration among those, those issues. So first, I fully agree this is not a, a zero-sum game for the SDGs, but I I further agree uh, that uh, the current way of a more top-down approach of governance is perhaps not the best way because uh, the 17th SDG is partnership for the goals and we cannot form partnership without exchanging um, data, exchanging evidences, exchanging things in a free and open manner. If we censor um, even people who publish harmless information about the environment, for example, then that is impossible uh, to form a foundation for um, you know, um, relationships and partnership vis-a-vis -vis the sustainable development goal. So I do think Taiwan can help not only uh, with the PRC, but also with everybody in the, especially in the Pacific region, to show how exactly to build a transparent and accountable partnership. And the U.S., I think, is our great partner in this endeavor. I'll probably comment on that. Um, one thing we do have to bear in mind that the, uh, the current trade war um, might come to a temporary stop because of the uh, diplomatic uh, measures and as well as uh, uh, political arrangements. But we must also bear in mind that what's at stake here is the uh, um, uh, high-tech and intellectual property that is essentially is at the core of the trade war. A trade war will evolve to the next stage going from um, um, tariffs on goods uh, goods-to-goods tariffs to the uh, intellectual property and technology espionage, as well as uh, high-tech trade war. So it is up to Taiwan to secure a important, crucial position in the triangular relationship by leveraging our high-tech um, uh, strength, especially knowing that our um, uh, semiconductor, our global supply chain, and as well as our AI and as well as our intellectual property. So those are the things I feel if Taiwan were to, as, as uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Chu said, to harness this open opportunity that we should really focus in on what matters you know, among us, this uh, what we call a um, 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 
uh, a triangular relationship, which is our strength uh, in technology and intellectual property. So those are the things I feel it's very, very uh, important. Thank you. Economy. I mean, what do you think could be done to raise the level of the security commitment by the U.S. towards Taiwan? And do you think the Taiwan Relations Act could be upgraded from a policy to a law in the form of a binding defense treaty? I think this is a great question. Uh, law, according to the previous panels, uh, the I mean, the professor from the Academia Seneca, she mentions that law could be code. Okay, and law in principle uh, is something that's written uh, in the government system that uh, the, the administration is supposed to implement. But when, when it comes to when it comes down to the real uh, governance, it might be another business. It might be another situation. So I think TRA provides a very sound framework for the United States to pro provide necessary assistance to Taiwan. But it also depends on the extent to which the current administration and even the administration, the next administration after 2020 in the United States to implement it. So uh, a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, first of all, I think the U.S.-Taiwan relations in the past two years has been further institutionalized. Many of these progresses, different from the situations even prior to 2016, uh, are law binding. So that means uh, laws like a Taiwan Travel Act or laws like uh, what um, um, lawmaker Xi just mentioned, the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act in 2019, these laws are law binding. That means that the U.S. administration really has the obligation to implement it. But the matter is how. Okay, so um, I, think, I think your question is, is on the right track in the sense that the current Trump administration needs to come up with a more concrete measure to implement those laws. The laws not only from the TRA, but also from the NDAA and even the Taiwan Travel Act. And I know that tomorrow the uh, formal uh, spokesperson of the Congress, uh, Paul Ryan, he's coming to visit in Taipei. And that's gonna be another sensational news in Taiwan. I think this is all serve as a good start for the high-level uh, high visit between the you know, two countries. And I would like to, personally, I would like to continue to see more of this happening in the near future. Right, Minister Tan, would you like to see a binding defense law signed between the U.S. and Taiwan? Well, I do agree that code is law. By that, I mean algorithm code and also data uh, sharing programs that provides the uh, binding, uh, in my profession, uh, way uh, that doesn't even require human uh, intervention or human interpretation. And case in point, uh, the Department of Homeland Security in the USA has a automated indicator sharing system, or the AIT, AIS system. And the system basically says whenever in the U.S. there's a cybersecurity attack, there's some difficult level uh, being being raised uh, by some you know state sponsored or otherwise uh, actors uh, then there is a machine to machine um, translation that translates between the different standards that different units have so that everybody knows that there is a cybersecurity attack going on and so on um, and so Taiwan I think in the past couple of years uh, has been very fortunate uh, in working with the US quite closely uh, on getting this sort of automated machine to machine um, translation and communication system set up uh, and personally to me uh, 
that signifies a level of trust that uh, is, of course, laws are great, but but this signify a level of trust that uh, are for, for us to be willing to look at uh, cybersecurity in particular, but also in disinformation, other issues, as a kind of common epidemic uh, that is threatening democracy, and that we're willing to tackle together using evidence-based way uh, that we can share together. And so I personally value that, because mostly because that's my, my portfolio and my department, but I also think that it extends beyond U.S. and Taiwan. For example, uh, our presidential hackathon in which that we select five teams every year and get a president's guarantee that they become the public service, right? Uh, and last year's one of the winning teams uh, used machine learning to solve water leakage for water pipes. And it may look like uh, very trivial, but it's actually a, a great issue in the days of climate change. And they were then invited by New Zealand to Wellington to work for another three uh, months. And I mean, it takes a great trust to hunt to some other country's team all your water flow or your water pressure or your SCADA measurement data. But that is the kind of that binding uh, issues that binds all of our concerns together and builds uh, co-creative teams together. And I, I look forward to collaborate with the U.S. more on that particular front. Yeah, I think this is a, a quite difficult question to, to answer. And also, I think it, it, it covers a wide variety of complexity as the situation we face today. Um, obviously, going forward, we will see China continuing to push the envelope. We'll see more and more um, um, crossing the, uh, the center line of the uh, Taiwan Strait, of their fighter jets, and also we'll see more and more uh, activities uh, being harnessed in the cyberspace to continue to influence Taiwan. And, you know, to answer this question as a, as a lawmaker and legislator, I think one fair and responsible uh, uh, comment on this is we have to understand the, the balance of power in the U.S. system where executive branch or administrative branch have against or check balance between the executive branch and the legislative branch. And, and I think with a current setup, all the laws, um, including TRA and as well as the uh, Taiwan Travel Act and Taiwan Assurance Act and uh, the uh, National Defense Authority Act, um, those, those are served as a congressional consensus, which means it's the, the, the consensus of the people because Congress essentially meaning the people. And whether or not it will be authorized and ex, uh, executed by the president is a question to be answered. And I think in the current um, complexity and the, the US-China uh, uh, trade war and, and various other um, interests uh, involved, there is a high level uh, difficulty in, um, in acting that going from a um, congressional consensus to a law-binding law. And we also have to understand that in the US, the administrative uh, uh, department um, upholds one China um, policy and which still governs on the international community as the highest uh, principle of understanding uh, Taiwan, uh, China, and the US dynamic. And I feel the, the legislation and the congressional support that we are having are strong. But whether or not we want to push it to a law-binding uh, law 
I think there's a lot of、um, compl- complicated questions to to answer. But what I would like to see is more practical and substantial cooperation between U.S. and Taiwan. For example, on the cybersecurity front, I feel that Taiwan can play an important role to serve as a regional intelligence hub, and we have a great pool of、uh, engineers. And I also mentioned on our high-tech intellectual property, and as well as our IP and、um, importance in the global supply chain. As、um, Chairman Guo also mentioned in a previous session, those are important things and substantial things that we want U.S. to collaborate with us to build,、uh, to continue to make Taiwan strong by leveraging our strength that we already excel, and then make us irreplaceable and、uh, unattackable by any sort of outside force. Now, do you think there's a possibility the United States could seek to downgrade the TRA or even initiate the enactment of another act if a government in Taipei signs a peace treaty with Beijing, Minister Tang?、Uh, we, we've heard a, a lot about peace treaty or peace accord. There's many different words.、Um, I, I have yet to see a substantial elaboration of what that. Actually, means、uh, in international law or in military terms, it seems like more of a, a rhetoric、uh, to me at this stage.、Uh, and I mean, if we look at history,、um, peace, no peace accords have actually. You know, protected peace、uh, very successfully for 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 a very long period. So、um, I, I think people who are touting、uh, peace treaty or peace accord、uh, could be much more helpful and substantial if they can just bring out the terms in substantial、uh, international law and defense deployment terms. Now, I, I think in in terms of Taiwan's own experience, I think there is a, a lot of.、Um, Treaties or accords or so on、uh, that was signed uh, under um, President Myintzil, and、um, it is also very clear that self-evident that how these accords are executing are being implemented、um, by the PRC now that Taiwan has democratically transitioned to another government. And so I, I would actually say that、um, I agree very much、um, with、uh, Chairman Moriarty's comments that the U.S. has a relationship with a free and democratic system. Is the Governance system that a, a USA is a partnership with, and as long as we keep this part、uh, free and not interfered by, I, I don't know what exactly will the so-called peace accord entail. Then I'm sure that the USA will still see Taiwan as a valuable partner. Right, Albert. Do you think there could be some downgrades or some changes if Taiwan signs a peace treaty with Beijing? All right. I think this question should be understood in two dimensions. First of all, any downgrading the system, which I don't think so. I think、uh, quite the opposite. I think both Taiwan and China are working in the direction that leads to more friendliness.、Uh, even including、uh, Chairman Guo,、uh, he had a very great deal that the people in Taiwan we have witnessed this, and even with、uh, President Donald Trump, and that was nothing we have ever seen in in, in the history of Taiwan in the past. Right? Okay. Uh, that's number one.、Uh, my response to you is no. I I don't think we, you know, United States. But that's my speculation, of course. Uh, uh, and, and it's still up to the U.S. administration to to develop. The second question regarding the peace accord, I would like to、uh, kindly view it as a fake issue that lacks substance. Why? Of course, Taiwan is an isolated country and is often suppressed. 
you know, the original term I would like to use was bullied, but you know, I changed the term. Uh, instead, I used uh, suppressed by China. Of course, we crave for peace uh, as people uh, of Taiwan, but the matter is how. Is it in a way that one country to system or in a way that China accept the idea to transition itself to democracy. Unfortunately, uh, lately we haven't talked about this a lot anymore in the society of Taiwan, unlike say 20 years ago that, you know, when Taiwan was uh, even more, was more affluent than China and, uh, you know, our rule of law and our civil civilization was much better than that in China. But we now in Taiwan, you know, Kind of unfortunately that we see the two camps, pen blue, pen green. Maybe a uh, lawmaker or uh, she can address to this later on. Uh, that, uh, you know, for the DPP parts, they uh, talk about uh, making a link to the United States, but not in a way that also invites the United States as a good partner to try to transform China in the you know, direction of democracy. On the other hand, pen uh, blue, you know, there are two factions or two kind of versions of pain uh, blue. On, on the one hand, which is more like deep blue that's kind of, you know, more or less-ish accept the version of one country, two system, uh, although they deny this. On the other way, uh, another version is that probably like uh, lawmaker Xi, more like moderates and, uh, you know, more open to different kinds of possibility, especially uh, in a sense to, to transform China. And unfortunately that in the society of Taiwan, we, we, we don't talk about the democracy in China that much as opposed to 20 years ago. So I think we do want peace, but how? And on what basis do we talk about peace with China? But, you know, like what I say, it's about it's all about stigmatization of politics in Taiwan. Not much different from that in the United States is that a lot of people stigmatized the conception of the Peace Corps Accord. But if we really bring into the issue or the elements of the democracy in China, I would say the supermajority of the Taiwanese people would accept the idea. And perhaps from that point on, we can talk more about what to do uh, in, in our policy uh, for the next step. Jason. Yeah, so this is a, a if question, and this is a, obviously a, a big if. Um, first of all, I, I feel uh, any leader in this country attempting to engage in dialogue or negotiation with, with mainland China cannot compromise the two things, two most important value of Taiwan. One is our freedom, and second is democracy. Those should serve as the most important things to enter into that agreement. And the, um, in, in so far as what has been laid out, there it, it's just an idea. I don't, I don't think at this point in time it is useful to discuss whether or not this could be true or this, this could happen. And secondly, we must not forget there are over um, estimated five million Taiwanese living and working in China. And, and so I, I think we have to really count in mind the, you know, what's at stake here if the leaders use any type of um, anti-China or pro-China or any sort of ideology as a way to wage uh, election campaign. 
because that would scare people into a very isolated thinking. And again, right, thank you very you much. Know, thank you for all your questions. Um, uh, we we sit here and, and we talk about where Taiwan stands in the in Taiwan the world, and we also want to talk about what value and contribution we can like offer to the world. So that's not forget. That's not underestimate ourselves. So these are the things that politicians use, you know, to as a language, as a as a tactics in the campaign. But whether or not it can be. Um, um, uh, materialized, I think there's a lot of questions to be answered. All right, Minister Tang, any comeback on Jason or Albert's comments? No, I, I actually do agree that, uh, as I said, the uh, piece of court, quote-unquote, is at this point uh, just a election rhetoric. Uh, and if there is a, a more substantial um, you know, regulatory or international law proposition, then we can talk about this for real. But I think for now, we'll just table this term. That will conclude our second and final discussion today on Taiwan Relations Act, New Opportunities, Present and Future. Once again, we'd like to thank all of our panelists and our moderator, Alju Tang, Minister Without Portfolio, Jason Shi, KMTL Large Lawmaker, Albert Joe, Professor at Donghai University, and of course, our moderator, Gavin Phipps from ICRT. Please put your hands together for them. You've been listening to the second part of the two-part Taiwan This Week Taiwan Relations Act special panel discussion show, which was hosted by me, Gavin Phipps, and recorded live at the National Taiwan University. Thanks for tuning in to this week's two-part special Taiwan This Week, which covered the Taiwan Relations Act, and we'll be returning to our regular format next Friday, April the 26th. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.